It's hard to tell from the media coverage, but battery electric isn't the only pathway to zero emissions. In the slow but steady march towards zero emissions goods movement, battery electric remains the dominant technology, but it's not the only option. Batteries aren't a one-size-fits-all solution. Hydrogen's a serious contender, using either fuel cell electric power or internal combustion engines with traditional powertrains. There's also advanced gasoline engines, biodiesel, renewable diesel engines, and hybrid powertrains. Here to talk with me about battery electric trucks and some of the other options for getting to zero emissions is John Zolasco. He's the Chief Sales Officer for FEV North America. His team is responsible for North American business development and marketing at FEV. They provide a full range of vehicle engineering services across a wide range of application segments. When you're through listening to this episode, please take a moment to share it with your friends on social media and to connect with HDT. You can subscribe to the podcast and to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any upcoming episodes of HDT Talks Trucking. I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking. My conversation with John Zelasco begins right after this. Clarion's Technologies is a global leader in transportation technology, known for its family of innovative and leading brands, our best-in-class capabilities, global scale, and extensive industry insight provide the technologies that keep the world moving forward. To learn more about Clarion's Technologies and its family of brands, visit clarionstechnologies.com. John Zelasco from FEV, welcome to HDT Talks Trucking. Glad to have you aboard, my friend. Hi, Jim. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's the 1st of April when we set about recording this podcast. The uh, electric revolution is <laughs> underway. We're going to talk a lot about that in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, but first, can you tell me a little bit about the company? FEV isn't exactly what I call a household word. Could you shed a bit of light on what the company does and who you're involved with? Sure. No, I'd be happy to, Jim. Uh, so we're a global engineering services company. Uh, that's really focused on sustainable energy and mobility solutions. Uh, we're just over 6,300 people globally. We've been around for 40 plus years, and we do a lot of work behind the scenes uh, supporting customers in developing uh, their future solutions. So this isn't your first rodeo, as they say. We've, uh, we've definitely been doing this for a while, that's for sure. Well, what's, what's FEV's stake in the commercial vehicle EV market right now? Yeah, so we've got quite a few stakes from our perspective. So we, we have a very wide range of customers, uh, certainly the OEMs uh, being the biggest, but we also support a number of tier ones, um, a number of the regulatory bodies, um, and we're focused on really turnkey vehicle development. So the, the focus, I think, of today's conversation is on powertrain development, that's certainly where FEV's roots uh, lie and where we've come from. Uh, but we're now offering complete vehicle uh, solutions. So um, customers are coming to us uh, with specifications for new electric vehicle programs. And we're, we're supporting all of that work from body structures to interiors to uh, ADAS and autonomous related development uh, to the core powertrain work that we've been involved in for, for many, many years. Are, are you doing most of your business with what we call startups or are you working with some established OEMs on this as well? So it's definitely both. Uh, we've historically supported a lot of the, 
the large OEMs, but you can imagine with all of the new players, especially from a U.S. market perspective uh, across the past years, popping up in Silicon Valley and other locations, uh, that we're, we're supporting both sides of that equation. It must be fun to be a, and I know with non-disclosure agreements, you can't say anything, I get that, but it must be interesting to be a, you know, a bird on the fence watching uh, the different approaches that these companies take to their development. It's, it's a pretty unique uh, business model, no doubt. And uh, getting to work with that diversity of uh, customer base, I think, is uh, something not many companies uh, uh, yeah, provide. Okay. Oh, <clears throat> we're hearing a lot today about the strides that electric trucks are making. They're coming onto the market and we're hearing more and more names entering the fray. There's dozens of pilot projects underway, I gather, but few of you know any real trucks operating in real world service right now. How long do you think it's going to be before EVs make some serious inroads into the heavy duty side of trucking? Well, that's an excellent, uh, excellent question for sure, Jim. And uh, if I had the answer, or, or we had the answer, we might <laughs> be doing something a little yeah. bit, a little bit different today. But um, you know, I think it depends really on a number of of factors. I mean, certainly there's the cost side of the equation, and we see, I think, based on yeah, current uh, uh, global boundary conditions uh, at the moment, that uh, for instance, battery cost is uh, rising quite significantly. So we've been talking for many years about battery cost reduction being very important to uh, future success of the EV market. Um, right now, I would say across the next year, I had some discussions yesterday talking about you know 20% increase in battery cost across that time period. Uh, so that continued cost equation certainly uh, factors in heavily to the future uh, EV roadmap. Um, also, certainly the infrastructure side of things. I think we see maybe in Europe uh, there being a, a, a bit of more, bit more momentum around uh, infrastructure uh, than in the U.S. market at the moment. But that will certainly come into play. And are you looking at high-powered charging solutions that are, of course, quicker in nature, but potentially have some uh, durability effects uh, on the battery long term? Uh, there's, of course, the regulatory requirements and um, what happens from that perspective uh, is the future introduction of zero emission vehicles, yeah, we'll say, more forced uh, from the regulatory perspective. Um, supply chain challenges. So you can imagine, again, on the battery side with uh, some of the raw material supply at the moment being quite challenged and uh, future demand projections being maybe difficult uh, uh, to meet. So all of those things will certainly factor in uh, to where the market moves. Um, but ultimately, I think we see some significant level of introdu introduction around maybe the 2030 timeframe. I think actually on a previous um, uh, HDT uh, episode, um, I think there was a, a Volvo speaker who um, mentioned targeting 100% zero emission vehicles in the 2040 timeframe. Yeah. Uh, so lots of lots of projections out there, but um, you know I think we're still a little bit ways out. But all of those different boundary conditions are going to factor into what the uh, what the exact timing looks like. Well, the state of California and fifteen other jurisdictions, including District of Columbia, are pushing for what thirty percent of new medium and heavy duty trucks to be zero emission vehicles by twenty thirty. That's ten years earlier than the Volvo guy is predicting. But do you think that's a realistic target? 
I think it's possible, especially if you look at uh, the medium duty truck segment uh, being maybe a bit more of a fit uh, for uh, BEVs in the future. I think on the heavy duty side, there's certainly a few more challenges, but I think ultimately it's possible. But again, all of those factors mentioned are going to uh, to play into uh, you know if that target can be met or or not. Well, we certainly got a technology challenge when in you know getting longer range batteries and what have you. Uh, just to take you back to the battery cost for a second, we've been hearing all along that oh, battery costs are going to go down. They're going to go down as they start being manufactured at scale. Uh, yet you point out they're rising. Is that just a geopolitical issue right now with the? Uh, Russia's activities in Ukraine and basic global instability, or is there some underlying reason that the battery costs are going up? I think right now it's primarily geopolitical driven. You know, the question which I I don't think uh, either of us can certainly answer is, you know, how that equation evolves in the mid to long term. Um, We still think from, from our perspective that you know, there are significant cost reductions to be had and and hopefully those can come to fruition in that 2030 type type time frame. But certainly short term, there's going to be some challenges uh, with regard to the cost side of the equation. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about hydrogen and some of the alternative fuel options here for getting to zero emissions uh, toward the end of the podcast in the second half. Uh, one of the solutions that I know FEV has been kicking around and, and some people are talking about and other people are completely ignoring is the hybrid diesel electric truck. Uh, they're popular in other parts of the world, China, for example. I think they're fairly widely used in Europe as well. Sometimes they call them range extenders where there's a diesel you know, running in the background connected to a generator making electricity for the batteries. Uh, that buys you some range and takes away a lot of the weight of a massive battery pack. Uh, but there's little appetite for that configuration here in, in the U.S. Any idea why that is? From my perspective, I think there's a couple things at play. I think one is is maybe tied back to resource constraints. And ultimately, yeah, the OEMs, a lot of the startups working towards uh, full zero emission uh, vehicle solutions long term and maybe allocating uh, more of their resource base to focus on those technologies versus maybe the uh, more short-term, mid-term type technologies. I also think there's an aspect of of maybe system complexity and cost um, with the hybrid system. That if it's only going to be a bridge solution to the to the end goal being that full zero emission uh, vehicle solution, um, there's not maybe so much appetite uh, to focus development efforts on on that technology. But I would also say that I do think. Um, you know, across the next 10 years, there will certainly be a lot of work in the hybridization space. Um, and we see the diesel being the primary, uh, yeah, the primary driving solution um, for the short term, certainly, as um, it's ultimately the, the best total cost of ownership option at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, total cost of ownership. That's an interesting topic. Uh, trucking knows the diesel's total cost of ownership pretty well. And we've got that figured out. We've been using them for decades. Um, Layered on top of that, though, you've got regulators who are pushing for zero emissions and maybe sometimes ready to settle for near zero in some cases. Uh, And then you've got the OEMs who are spreading their development dollars pretty thin if you start thinking hydrogen, electric, 
um, hybrid renewable natural gas and still keeping the diesels competitive with emissions regulations and stuff. There's an awful lot going on in that space right now. Uh, what's your view uh, or FEV's view on, on uh, how all this push and shove and messy middle stuff is going to play out? It's a, it's an excellent question for sure. And <laughs> sorry, I, I kind think, of a long and convoluted one too. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I think it's a great question. And I think what you're going to see is a lot of partnerships uh, to be able to have a stake in the game for all of these potential solutions, midterm and long-term. So if you look at something like the uh, publicly announced arrangement between Daimler and Cummins, where Cummins is going to be supporting a lot of uh, medium-duty diesel uh, engine development in the future, um, that allows a company like Daimler to, of course, uh, put their own resources to use on uh, other technology-related topics. And I think no one company is going to be able to uh, pursue all of those potential technology solutions alone. But I think everybody sees the need to have at least a foot uh, in the development of all those potential solutions because of all the boundary conditions that are outside of anyone's complete control. So I think it's making sure that you don't bet the you don't bet the whole farm on one one solution, but you've got uh, stakes in the games uh, across the board. Well, I thought it was interesting when when he just to divert a little bit here. I thought it was interesting when Hino uh, withdrew. Um, <clears throat> It's two engines, diesel engines from the market, and replace them with Cummins. Uh, I, I have some vague idea of the cost of, of uh, developing the compliance systems to keep the engines, um, you know, up to speed with current and future emissions regulations. Sort of makes sense to, to hand it all off to one engine maker and let them do all the heavy lifting. Uh, I mean, they've got the resources to do it, probably more than a smaller company like Hino does. And uh, certainly Daimler, I guess, would welcome the relief of that cost and engineering expense and resource draw from trying to keep their diesels compliant if Cummins can do it for them. Yeah, I think that's an excellent, excellent point. And, um, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, everybody has a finite set of resources to work with. And if there's a view within certain companies that maybe the, the diesel is not the future differentiator or the future reason that... Um, the end customer buys the vehicle, you know, maybe those OEMs decide to, you know, place their resources in the areas that they feel like will differentiate, dif- ultimately dif- differentiate them in the marketplace. And let's not forget the regulatory pressure. Um, EPA and various groups keep ratcheting up the emissions or ratcheting down, I guess, the emission, emissions uh, levels. That's going to become harder and harder to meet in future generations. Um, do you think that has much to do with why companies aren't investing in the uh, diesel hybrid sort of configuration? That it's still a diesel at the end of the day? I certainly think there is a bit of a, a stigma around the diesel. And um, yeah, based on some of the uh, incidents that occurred in the automotive sector, um, you know, the regulatory bodies uh, in most cases aren't exactly pro-diesel. Um, so I think that has some some effect. Uh, we've also made lots of strides from a diesel engine development perspective. So I think the technology certainly has gotten much, much cleaner uh, over time. But I do think there's that aspect of uh, the re- regulatory bodies and maybe government entities pushing in a bit of a different direction. Yeah. 
makes me crazy when I read a story on the mainstream media, TV, or newspaper, and they show a picture of an old 1978 Freightliner fender flapper, you know, belching clouds of black smoke and talking about diesel in the same sentence. Today's diesels are so far removed from what they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and we don't get much credit for that. That that bugs the daylights out of me. Yeah, I, I being a diesel guy myself, I can, I can, uh, I guess, comment similarly to what you just mentioned, Jim. That uh, um, there's been a lot of development, but maybe not a not a lot of recon- recognition for that development work. Yeah, it's too bad. Okay, uh, John, we're going to take a short break here. Um, when we come back, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the hydrogen options uh, and maybe talk a bit more about the uh, uh, the diesel itself and its future, and maybe touch on some. Uh, high-tech stuff that might uh, might get us closer to a zero-emission solution. We're speaking with John Zelasco, the Chief Sales Officer for FEV North America. This is HGT Talks Trucking. I'm Jim Park. We'll be back right after this. Clarion's Technologies is a global leader in transportation technology, known for its family of innovative and leading brands, our best-in-class capabilities, global scale, and extensive industry insight Provide the technologies that keep the world moving forward. To learn more about Clarion's Technologies and its family of brands, visit clarionstechnologies.com. We're back with John Zelasco, the Chief Sales Officer of FEV North America. I'm Jim Park. This is HTT Talks Trucking. Uh, John, let's get into some uh, hydrogen, which is another really interesting topic to be exploring here as we transition away from fossil fuels. Uh, a lot of people are putting a lot of money into hydrogen right now, yet there's some serious barriers there. Uh, you know, we have to build out the infrastructure, the distribution infrastructure. We're trying to source so-called green hydrogen. Uh, I can point to a whole bunch of barriers uh, also in the distribution and sourcing of green energy for battery electric vehicles. That That's not perfect either. Uh, do you think the concerns over hydrogen are valid or maybe a deal breaker or are they just being exaggerated? somewhat by the pro-battery crowd? I certainly think there's a place for hydrogen uh, in the future, especially within the um, medium-duty, heavy-duty commercial vehicle uh, segment. But as you touched on, I think infrastructure is certainly um, maybe the biggest challenge and ultimately who's responsible for the infrastructure, who funds it. Um, You know, the energy cost side of the equation is certainly very important. Um, of course, uh, pretty important uh, with all energy sources. But uh, if you look at something like uh, yeah, gas and diesel prices right now, that's certainly driving uh, maybe a different uh, buying behavior and different uh, technology push um, also in the light duty segment. And then there's also the, the storage and delivery side of things, uh, which I don't think we've worked out completely. Um, so I don't think they're deal breakers. But I certainly think they're they're valid and all uh, items that have to be worked through uh, to make hydrogen a, a mainstream viable solution in the future. Well, at this point, the leading contender for using hydrogen seems to be the fuel cell um, configuration. That's basically the reverse of electrolysis where the hydrogen has reaction inside a stack uh, inside the fuel cell and makes electricity and powers batteries. So the obvious advantage they keep touting is that you, you need fewer batteries because they're replaced basically by hydrogen storage tanks. Uh, I've seen some figures that show that the, the weight savings with hydrogen 
really aren't that significant compared to batteries if you're talking about a fairly long-range vehicle. So does that make it a little bit harder to sell hydrogen as a long-haul alternative to batteries? Well, I think there's a couple different hydrogen solutions being pursued. So um, the short-term hydrogen solution certainly is on the H2 ICE side of things, which we see as a a uh, short-term solution that will be in production within the next couple of years. And that's sort of a a bridge step, uh, I think, in my opinion, where you're starting from a, a traditional internal combustion engine solution and uh, converting that uh, to be capable of hydrogen operation, a little bit r- less less risk, I would say, to that, uh, to that pathway. And then we see the fuel cell is a longer term solution that has some efficiency uh, advantages, certainly, but more of a risk maybe to a typically very conservative uh, segment uh, from a durability perspective where some of those durability concerns are a bit more unknown. You said converting a diesel engine to run on hydrogen wouldn't be that complicated, probably a couple of years time. We did it with natural gas, uh, basically take a diesel and run it on natural gas. Uh, How much is you know, has to be done to a diesel to make it burn hydrogen. Well, actually, I think you hit the uh, the nail on the head right there, Jim. So we uh, we actually see the starting point for H two ICE being uh, current uh, current production natural gas engines. Uh, so we see the OEMs uh, that maybe have a base starting point from that perspective, using that as the platform to ultimately uh, convert over to hydrogen. And with some limited, more limited changes from maybe a piston uh, injector perspective um, in a relatively short period of time, um, you can make that conversion happen with a, a bit uh, less risk than starting from a, a diesel platform. Uh, so when you look across the landscape, there's all sorts of alternatives here to diesel fuel. Uh, People often talk about it in, in terms of a one-size-fits-all. It's going to be battery, it's going to be hydrogen, it's going to be something else. Does it have to be a one-size-fits-all, or can we find niche markets for all of these technologies? I think it's most certainly not a one-size-fits-all solution. I think there will be many, many solutions uh, in the future that uh, uh, come to market, and I think it it depends on a whole variety of factors as to what the best powertrain solution ends up looking like, you know, factors like range and the specific drive cycle, uh, the energy cost maybe based on the uh, location of the globe we're talking about, um, certainly, you know, what infrastructure solutions are available, um, overall system cost, um, the different storage solutions that are available. You know, I think all of those factors are going to really drive what solution is best for uh, the end uh, consumer or the end fleet. And I think you see a company like Cummins, for instance, taking a very um, appropriate approach where they're building internally um, the capability to deliver on all powertrain uh, solutions uh, that might be future needs in the commercial vehicle space and other markets, uh, which I, I think is a pretty, um, pretty interesting model. Indeed it is, and, and Cummins is pretty well-placed to do that. They've been investing pretty heavily in alternative energy sources for the last, oh, maybe 10 years now, I guess, four or five for sure. Uh, let's talk about diesels, uh, our venerable diesel engines. 
Um, everybody I talked to, I, I did an interview last week or the week before last with Alan Schaefer from the Diesel Technology Forum. Now, you know, he's sort of got a dog in the fight, but uh, he made a pretty compelling case for uh, diesels being around for um, at least in our lifetime. Uh, I'm 60, so we're talking maybe another 20, 30 years uh, before we see the diesel's total demise. Uh, what what sort of work has to be done, do you think, or what are some of the promising technologies that are emerging that uh, will keep diesels going forward? Yeah, I think there's quite a bit of work, as mentioned earlier, uh, still ongoing in the diesel space. And, you know, if you think about EPA, greenhouse gas, you know, 2024, 2027 type standards, we certainly see diesel still being uh, the primary solution um, across that time period. And you have programs like the Department of Energy super truck activities that are looking at uh, combustion system optimization, uh, friction-based improvements, uh, upgrades to after-treatment systems, uh, air management uh, improvements, certainly all forms of uh, mild electrification. Um, and I think all these things will come into play across various uh, yeah, on-road and off-highway diesel platforms uh, across that next 10 years. And I think it remains to be seen um, you know, exactly how long certainly the diesel is around, but it's, it's certainly here for the foreseeable future. And as also we touched on earlier in the conversation, right now, um, total cost of ownership is best uh, from a diesel perspective, at least in the, you know, class eight uh, long haul sector. And given that uh, the commercial vehicle space is, is ultimately a business, you know, I think until that total cost of ownership equation changes, um, you know, you, you'll certainly see the, the the diesel around in a majority. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the business interests butt heads with the environmental interests, and uh, you know, somebody has to bend, and it's usually us. That that's true. Cer- certainly, if if regulatory bodies uh, push uh, further on future standards, um, you know, that could 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 and will drive the equation maybe a little bit differently, but there's also realistic timelines, I think, for uh, conversion over to some of these newer technology solutions. And if you think uh, on the infrastructure side of things, like we've touched on throughout the conversation, you know, until there's appropriate infrastructure to be able to handle uh, battery electric uh, vehicle, fuel cell, H2ICE technology solutions, um you know, that could be a limiting factor on on simply how quickly the introduction can take place. Okay, so before we wrap up, um, let's move a little bit away from powertrains and talk about whole vehicle technologies. We're coming into the realm of the assisted or automated driving vehicle now. Platooning is another one that's on the horizon. How can we, or, or how will those technologies ultimately improve sustainability? Yeah, I think these technologies will also play a quite quite critical role in uh, future solutions, and you can see in the uh, in in the publicly available media that that all of the heavy duty, medium duty OEMs are working on uh, various forms of platooning and and ADAS systems. Um, we see this certainly important from, of course, a, a safety perspective, and also addressing some of the driver shortage uh, concerns. But if you think about platooning, 
you know, there's some significant uh, uh, fuel savings that can occur through the aerodynamics of platooning, uh, which are working towards improving sustainability. If you think about various um, 8S, AD type solutions, um, certainly things like traffic avoidance and route optimization result in um, you know less wear and tear of the vehicle over time, uh, lower maintenance costs, but also uh, lower fuel costs ultimately. So I think design of these types of systems in conjunction with future powertrains is really, really important. You know, one thing that we focus on from a FEV perspective is certainly the uh, systems engineering and the the co-design of all these systems to work harmoniously uh, together. And I think that will be, you know, really uh, an important factor in achieving the overall uh, sustainability goals that we all have. And I guess you can't overlook the fact that the computer can probably drive the truck a great deal more efficiently than a driver could. So you're going to get some inherent fuel efficiency benefits from computer control of the entire vehicle rather than just throttle pedaling, which we have now with cruise control. That's got to be, you know, a, a, something in their favor. That's that's certainly a factor as well. Um, no, no, no doubt that the, um, the artificial intelligence and the uh, um, future computing power can certainly uh, add quite a benefit from that perspective. Well, just wait till we get electric or BEV automated vehicles. That's really going to throw everything together into the same pot, isn't it? And, and I think that's ultimately where we're where we're heading long term. It's just that whole question of timing and when and and when the cost dynamics all work uh, for that type of solution. Thanks for that, John. That was a really great interview and a great great discussion. I appreciate you sharing all those insights with us. No, thanks, Jim. I appreciated the uh, the discussion as well. We've been talking with John Zelasco. He's the chief sales officer for FEV of North America. This is HDT Talks Trucking. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow and connect with us on social media. You'll find links to the various platforms in the podcast description. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any future episodes. You can catch more great content on our website, truckinginfo.com. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening.